0: You're listening to Trek FM.
1: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it.
0: (laughs) I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole... We've got hosts from the network, friends dropping by. We talk all things geeky, and I'm excited to be here today. I hope you are as well. I hope you've gotten your drink from Ruby and and grabbed a chair. I'm your host, Matthew Rushing, and I have some really special guests joining me tonight. Uh, First, Andy, it is fantastic to have you back in the 602. It's been a while now.
2: I know. It feels weird. I miss you guys.
0: Well, what's really exciting is I feel like we've we've completed the trifecta because it's you, me and Norm is back with us as well and we always seem to do the shows together so that's so much fun.
2: I think what that means is Norm and I share a lot of common <laughs> <Yeah>. nerdy interests.
0: <laughs> it's a possibility, Norm. It's good to have you back here with the 602. Oh, this is the team. This is like
1: this is the TV show team and kind of like John Champion. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of like the retro team. And then yeah. it's like we have all yep. these, we have all these little that's Avengers right. Assembles kind of team. So,
0: yep. Uh, yeah. When it's a, when it's a random comics thing, it's you, me and Jose. Yeah. It's, that's very funny. I didn't ever think about that. We've got different teams and we well, just sign Well, I'm up, glad so. that
2: my obsessive love of television is, uh, is going to good use somewhere. Yeah.
1: We well, yeah. Memorialize that here, you know? gonna why do you think I started this show
0: Andy I <laughs> I needed somewhere to talk about all this stuff <laughs> that uh you know uh, I wasn't having a chance to anywhere else and yeah. Uh, but yeah
2: there's only so many times that you can bore your coworkers.
0: This is true. You need you
2: need other people that actually care about what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Right. Or the random Twitter people that will actually tweet you back about the subject, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. This we we needed a better place for that. And that's what the 602 is for. Or Um,
1: people that pick up your random quotes. That's true. You're like, oh, that is I know true. You. Yeah. you. and I we're like
0: just now. happened on the other side of the glass where uh, the we mentioned flight of the Con of the glass. Of the, that I love it. Yeah. That's our new thing. The other side of the glass mm-hmm. where uh, you mentioned flight of the Concords Norm, mm-hmm. and, uh, there the song, and there may have been singing, and there may have been some singing. Yeah, just a little bit. So. Uh, maybe we'll put that out there uh, at, the, at the, as the stinger. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> we do have something kind of important to talk about, and uh, we obviously don't talk uh, about Star Trek on this show, but um, we would be remiss if we just didn't mention the fact that Leonard Nimoy did pass. And um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it, was, it was weird to have him go. You know, I was younger when Dee passed to Forrest Kelly, and him being my favorite... Uh, character in TOS it was tough to have him be the first to go Um, it wasn't unexpected I mean he was uh, you know a lot older than Shatner and Nimoy and the rest of the gang Um, but it was tough for me when he died because it meant you know there wouldn't be any more Dr. McCoy in things you know Um, and luckily I, I still get to go back and I get to watch those shows that he's in, but the same thing now with Spock. I mean, the, the the Trinity is is no longer the Trinity. It's just Shatner left with us. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to talk about maybe your favorite Spock moment or favorite thing about Leonard Nimoy, just to to be able to you know give the opportunity for the listeners as well um, to to be able to stop and think about all that he's done, not only for geek culture, but just people in general. Um, Because Leonard Nimoy, I think, really transcended um, geek culture by being a director of other things, being an author, being a photographer, um, and being just a great humanitarian.
2: I mean, it's kind of new for me because I'm a new Star Trek fan. So I almost felt a little bit guilty about how hard it hit me. Because um, I was like, uh, Star Trek has only been a major part of my life for the last couple of years. If it is hurting me this much to lose Leonard Nimoy, I can't even imagine how lifelong fans of the series are reacting. Because it really, I mean, I, I was crying at my desk at work. It was really hard. Um, and I think that's a testament not just to the character of Spock, which, I mean, is just such an iconic character that changed the world. Um, But just how wonderful of a human being Leonard Nimoy was just in general. I mean, people felt like he was their family, their honor, their honorary grandfather. um, And he just had a beautiful outlook on life, his poetry, the way he used words, the way he, you know, interacted with people. You know, you're a pretty special person that lived a pretty special life when both NASA and the president of the United States have to comment about how sad they are that you're gone. So, yeah, it was tough. But uh, I get to keep watching the original series, and I still have Spock moments to go. Um, and I'm looking forward to that, and we'll miss him. Well,
0: and the great thing for you, Andy, is that you have Spock moments all the way till the very last film so far in the series, which is yeah. fantastic. I mean, you know, that's one of, the, I think, the most amazing things is, uh, Spock is the only character uh, that has uh, been a part of Star Trek for this long, from the very beginning of The Cage all the way till Into Darkness. You know, that's just an amazing legacy uh, for the character and just Leonard Nimoy in general.
1: Yeah, You know, I think that's the special thing about Leonard Nimoy as Spock, is that he is this is the through line from the original series all the way to the new movies, and He's an indelible fixture in the history of Star Trek. As actors come and go, and as our favorites come and go, I mean, we have actors that we like, like Jeffrey Combs, or like Andrew Robinson, who plays Garrick. These are really fun and memorable characters. But there are what I would like to call the pillars, the bedrock of Star Trek. William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy are those two. There obviously are a, a couple more, but I don't think not at the level of those two, DeForest Kelly being the third. But... I'm not sure if there's anything that I can really add to the conversation that I haven't already added on my own show, Warp 5, and what the community has already been pouring out in terms of all of their deepest and emotional, heartfelt feelings towards Leonard Nimoy and towards his family. So I guess the only thing that I really want to leave behind for this show is just how much I'm going to enjoy seeing him more when I see him again on screen. Because it's the things that you care about most are the things that you cherish. And he left behind so much. I mean, just think about the body of work, not just in Star Trek, but like Andy, you said, like in his poetry, his photography, his writing, his directing. And remember, I mean, when you think of you know, three men and a baby, that was Leonard Nimoy. You know, obviously Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and Star Trek for The Voyage Home. Um, there's just so much that he has given that you can always find comfort in in terms of entertainment i mean one of my all-time favorite moments as his character of spock is uh when in a mock time when he thought that kirk was dead and he he turned around and he said jim and he had that giant goofy smile on his face
0: yeah
1: (laughs) because the entire episode was so heavily vulcan and spock and all of a sudden you had this one genuine human moment and you saw the duality of that character the the just the subtleness and the pinpoint precision of his acting timing in that entire episode and that's what I love about moments like that in Star Trek and he had that ability and it's I could gush for this entire podcast but the the last thing that I I would like to leave behind for the listeners is is something that I said on on my show and I said you know what I will you know he I will always be his fan and that famous quote of his you know, that um, I shall, be, I, I have been and always shall be your friend. Well, I always shall be his fan. You know, even though he's gone, I will all be his fan of his work and what he's left behind.
0: It was funny. Uh, um, just a few years ago, uh, I randomly got a chance to go to the Dallas Comic Con, and um, a friend of, of mine, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she uh, knew somebody who had press passes and gave us those press passes which enabled us to be able to get seats at uh, the Leonard Nimoy presentation and this was in his farewell tour he was not going to be touring anymore Uh, he was not going to be um, appearing at conventions anymore live Um, he did a a few times over Skype as um, um, Larry Nemichek talked about on the ready room but this was going to be the last time that people were going to get to see him in person and he had a fantastic presentation that he had done about his entire life where he grew up how he grew up on all of these things and it was just so fascinating to see this this man who had been through so much and there's so much more to his life than Star Trek and it was really great because you know it was just a fortuitous event of being able to see him and at that time and It will always stay with me, and I'm always thankful that, you know, he was somebody that I got to see at at a convention in in real life. You know, I have the pictures to prove it. It's it's just such a a beautiful thing. And um, for me, it was that personal moment of getting to see him in person. Um, I didn't get to meet him for autographs or anything like that, but just being that close to him and hearing his life story um, as he he shared it with us was a real joy. And that's what I take away when I think of of him and his passing and um, you know, obviously wish his family the best. And I think my favorite thing that I've heard so far was was Ken Ray on on mission log talking about how, you know the, the character of Spock is not gone. it's it's Leonard Deemley who's gone. Uh, Spock will live on and books and as we continue to watch the series you know Andy you've got the rest of the original (laughs) series and the movies and of course you've got movies all the way till into darkness where Spock appears and we can always turn those on but you know nobody will be able to uh, tweet uh, Leonard Nimoy anymore you know we won't be able to do those kind of things anymore we won't get to see him and those are the things where uh, it's the person that we lost that makes me sad We wanted to spend just a few minutes remembering him, and uh, like you said, Norm, I don't think there's anything that we could add to the conversation, and I don't even think that's the point. Uh, We just wanted to remember a man who has had an impact on our lives and around the world, and so with this, we remember Leonard Nimoy. Well, the rest of the show, we are going to be talking about something that's really fun, um we are going to finally be talking about Agent Carter and if you listen to the show regularly I think you may have thought to yourself well why haven't they covered Agent Carter yet well we decided because it was a mini series and only 8 episodes long that we would wait till the very end of the show so we could talk about the whole thing and Now, we don't know if they will ever do any more of this series, so this gave us a great opportunity to do something we haven't done before, is talk about something as a whole. Uh, We get to talk about the whole show, the whole arc, all the characters, everything at one time, and so I think that's going to be a lot of fun for us this week. I do have one question for you, and this is the question that I thought the moment I heard that they were going to do this show, it's the thing that just was, it, it was almost as if some strange clarion call came to me and it said, why didn't we do this instead of Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D.? What do you think, Andy?
2: (laughs) Um, My first thought is that it might have been a monetary decision. Um, For one thing, First Avenger, although it's one of my favorite Marvel uh, movies, it was one of the lower-grossing movies, um, starting... A TV show uh, that ties into a cinematic universe is a big undertaking to start with, um, and doing so with a their first female-led project set in the 40s might have felt like too big of a risk for them. And I think that what they were trying to do and why they brought Colson back is they were trying to, you know, tie it in with the the super successful Avengers. Um, kind of success with having him be the bridge from that universe to the TV universe. So I think that might be why why they started there and not in in more of, I don't want to say obscure, but not nearly as zeitgeisty as the the first Captain America movie was anyway.
0: Well, let me throw this into the mix real quick because I think everything you said is probably exactly what the executives were thinking. And yet, what I don't think that they realized is that most of the American population has no idea who S.H.I.E.L.D. is in the first place. All we know of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the most part, unless you're a comic book junkie, what you know of S.H.I.E.L.D. is what you've seen in the films. And so there's this organization that we've seen the beginning of, at least with with Peggy Carter and the first Avenger film, and we've kind of seen the culmination of with the Avengers. And that this organization exists. And then of course with. Um, you know Captain America 2. And the Winter Soldier. And the fact that it falls. Um, but I, I I think the. What's interesting is for me. You know. S.H.I.E.L.D. just hasn't. Taken off at all. Like I'm kind of bored with the show and part of it's because I'm lost. I don't know anything about any of all this stuff that's going on with these inhumans and you can just call me a bad comic book fan I, I'll take the I'll take the heat. You're a bad comic um, book fan. Yeah. Um <laughs> but I think that's the other thing is they haven't been doing a good job of introducing it to us either. They're just kind of expecting that we know it. And so for me, I feel like it would have been better just to start at the beginning so we could kind of build all these things up so people would understand what we we're talking about if we got to a quote-unquote Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like we have it now. What do you think, Norm? Well, I mean, I agree
1: with pretty much everything you said, Andy. It's they. It, it, I think it was a monetary decision. I think that they could pretty much hang their hat on the fact that they're going to draw the audience from the cinematic universe and not really have to worry about working too hard for that. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that the executives were thinking that all of this was built in and because you have Coulson and Coulson is that very likable through line from movie to movie to movie that that would just be a really easy entry point for people to go. Hey, you know what? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on. I know that guy from the movie. I think I'll watch it as opposed to putting all of their eggs in one basket with. And you said this right, the very first female character for any project of theirs, really, the very first central female character for any project of theirs, because they don't really have one, per se, in a leading role in any of the movies. So I think that would have been a really difficult sell for ABC to start with Peggy Carter and the agents of the SSR, if you will, because they're not S.H.I.E.L.D. yet. You're right, Matthew. They're not S.H.I.E.L.D. yet. And I agree with you, too. Not a lot of the American public that followed the Marvel Cinematic Universe really understands, well, except for the Captain America, the Winter Soldier, really know what S.H.I.E.L.D. was all about. And I don't know. I, I think that they've kind of lost themselves in a way on TV. I'm not sure if Peggy Carter would have been the best starting point, but at the same time, I don't think they've done themselves the best service trying to solidify a really unique shield storyline. And I really don't know why that is because it's not like they don't have the talent in the talent pool. They have great writers for their cinematic universe, but their television universe is really suffering. I'm not sure if I have a good answer for for any of this cuz I'm a little befuddled as well. But I did, you know, I do like the Agent Carter universe because I love that period of time. I love that era and they do it well but as a lead-in for their first TV foray, not sure if that would have been the right thing.
2: Well, the the issue with S.H.I.E.L.D. is there's a lot of issues with S.H.I.E.L.D. to be honest. Um, one, you're right, Matthew, that it's a super dense universe and it's not one that uh, I, I would say your average uh, person knows very much about. You have to have pretty deep comic book knowledge to know, I mean, all of the various agents and all this sort of thing, but they really kind of suffered from starting shield out as kind of a monster of the week format, which I don't think worked very well. And I want to say maybe the first half of that first season of shield, I, I, to be totally honest, I was bored. Um, They started to hit their stride um later on in that first season and at this point I I'm more invested in the characters again but a huge reason for that is because of Captain America Winter Soldier and the entire shakeup of their universe uh, so I, just in general I don't think Shield is as strong of a show as we would like it to be um and there are a lot of reasons for that but Agent Carter um I am so excited about that show <laughs> I, I love it so much. And I I don't know if that's a a general opinion or just mine, but from the very beginning, I was very invested in, in Peggy Carter. I was very invested in what she was doing. I really like the characters. I really like the characters relationship. I I like the way that it's kind of a really unique thing where we know where this is going, but we don't know how we got there. So like this, this idea of like, going backwards almost we know that uh peggy has um started shield and we know where shield ends up but we don't know how that all came together and how that's gonna work and who starts it and it's it's just really fascinating to me to kind of go back and and find out all of this history um and then just in general some really talented actors and i i'm sorry i could as Norm would say, I could gush all day about the show, but I really, really like it. Um, so I kind of wish that they had started here. I don't know that from from an executive standpoint that that would have ever flown. And, I mean, the ratings are very uh, disappointing, I guess, it would be the best way to describe it. But then again, the ratings for S.H.I.E.L.D. have never been all that strong. So, I don't know.
0: Well, I think that... You mentioned something, and, you know, starting here with Agent Carter and the the SSR and how that transforms in the S.H.I.E.L.D., the one thing that I love about Agent Carter is that the storyline is more simple. It's more streamlined. You know, we're not dealing with the entire cinematic universe and all of these things and how they're all going to fit together and trying to jam as much as we can in. We're telling a very focused story. And I think if if anything could be said about Agent Carter, the one thing that it really had over S.H.I.E.L.D. and the one thing that it does that the, the DC TV uh, universe has really done, especially with Arrow and Flash, is they're telling us a, a central story, like a very focused story. Um, and, of course, they only have eight episodes to tell their story, so you have to be very focused and uh i think that's where agents of shield has suffered because it just hasn't had that focused storytelling that laser point storytelling where there's just so much going on and too much of people just not talking to each other and it's like all the worst bad teen dramas we've ever seen all rolled up into with superheroes uh, or super spies there's not a lot of superheroes so far and uh, we're about to get one apparently with uh, some inhuman action, but I don't even know what that means because they haven't really explained it to me yet. So, um, <laughs> and I think that's the frustrating thing as well. You know, uh, with that show, uh, my wife and I, we, we watch Flash. She has no recollection of Flash, she doesn't know anything about Flash other than what they tell her on the show. She can follow along really well and and gets it, and she'll ask me questions because she knows that I know some more but on a whole, it's not because she doesn't understand something, it's more because she's trying to see what she can get out of me about the rest of where they might be going, and so, but on a whole, she gets the show, whereas I feel like even for me uh, watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't really know what's going on, whereas when I'm watching Agent Carter, I know everything that's going on and it all makes sense And that's one of the things I think they did the best with that show, and I think what a great stepping stone to be able to get to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you had just started with Agent Carter, because then you get to build the entire story, and how you get all the way to, you know, what we see in the cinematic universe and everything, you have a lot more to play with, Um, and, you know, again, a lot of people don't know the story. Uh, and so why not build the story all the way till, to there instead of kind of plopping you somewhere in the middle? That For me, that's just been my main frustration with Agent of the S.H.I.E.L.D. and my enjoyment of why I liked Agent Carter so much better as a whole.
1: Well, I do too. And I think I'm probably going to be a little bit more of a, of a contrarian voice in this show than I usually am because... There's a long list of things I do like about this show, and there's a fair amount of things that I feel leave me a little flat. The things I do like about the show, I think that Haley Atwell and Agent Carter are fantastic. I think they write her fantastically. I think that her earnestness and her performance are are just amazing. She's exactly what and who she was from the first Avenger. I mean, that's that's just a great... Uh, tribute and and testament to her talent i think the uh, art direction and i think the period look is fantastic i think for the most part the casting is really good i think james darcy as jarvis uh, obviously um the actor who plays stark has been brought from you know the movies to this show although i think he phones it in a little bit he's a little too cliche-esque uh of the um Kind of like the, uh, Playboy. the hip Playboy hipster kind of Hugh Hefner with a you know super brain kind of mentality. But I mean that's Stark, you know, that's that that that's that's the Stark you get from, you know, Howard and Tony. So but the one thing that I feel I've always had an issue with probably from the very first episode was the way that they wrote the SSR agents in total. Because for me, When I think of the SSR as a whole, you're thinking about not just Peggy Carter, but Colonel Chester Phillips, who was played by um, Tommy Lee Jones, and the entire Strategic Scientific Reserve that helped create Captain America, from the agents to to everybody. And when the war was over, it seemed like they turned into a very 1940s cliché-ish kind of gumshoe agency where you have guys with the typical New York, hey, how you doing, kind of accents. And I said this before, Matthew, I think that Peggy Carter is amazing in the show, but the agents are kind of keystone copish that they they diminish her ability. If they made those agents amazing the way that the SSR agents, I think, should be, that makes her even more amazing because she's able to best them the best agents in the united states and she bests them so in in tuning those guys down a little bit i feel that they're not servicing her character as well
0: that's just no i i agree with you because all throughout the show i couldn't believe how dumb the ssr was like they just bought hook line and sinker Everything that was being thrown at them like there was never I mean especially by the end with the doctor who can hypnotize you and we just I was so I was literally my wife will tell you I was literally yelling at the TV at how dumb these people were that they couldn't figure out what this guy was doing like you you guys are supposed to be the best agents in the United States and you're getting fooled by everyone.
1: I think they brought along Jack Thompson really well. I thought that his character had a lot of growth, and Souza as well.
0: Um, yeah, you know? yeah. There are a couple of those guys that do, but even those guys are so slow on the uptake. It's like, they should be so much quicker than they are at this, if, it's, especially if they're supposed to be the best.
2: There are a couple moments that are like, really, you did that, really? I think the number one thing is, why, if you capture someone in Russia regardless of their circumstances and you're trying to undercover this huge russian conspiracy why are you gonna keep that mean russian guy right in 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 your office like (laughs) overhearing all your plans he's like hanging out while they're discussing what they're gonna be doing like no one would do that you you debrief them and you stick stick them in a cell until you know what kind of information can be gotten from them you don't like have him get him a drink and like discuss your marriage with him that doesn't make any sense at all
1: well i think they were were trying to infuse a little bit of that period naivete about this era where again you know you're you're either a nazi or you're a good guy
2: except for the fact that Dooley has shown numerous times that he's a pretty suspicious guy and i mean he's he's the one that kind of starts to unravel a lot of these like What happened here? And this seems fishy. And then all of a sudden, he he suddenly is just totally cool with this guy having total access to his secret base. It's just very strange. And then the other thing is, and I think this ties in really well with what you're talking about, Norm. Why would they have that Agent Kaminsky guy around? What did he bring to the table? I mean, they made him really bumbling, like over-the-top bumbling. And I, I know that it's probably thematic, right? They were trying to show that Peggy was being held back in an organization that didn't value her and they were valuing these, you know, mediocre men over her because of sexism. Right. But he was really mediocre. So I see what you mean. Like with the, not, not having the general quality of the SSR as high as it could have been kind of makes her not stand out so much because she's just, you know, the only competent one of a bunch of fools.
1: Yeah. And that's that's kind of like what I was getting at. It's not that she wasn't capable. It's just that she was they made her out to be competent and she was far more than that. I mean, remember, and for the listeners who have seen this, she led the howling commandos into the Red Skull's base at the front of the line. That's if that's not capable, I don't know what is. She was fearless. She was able. She was strategic. She was more than competent, more than than able to lead SSR agents into battle. And yes, they showed that when Jack Thompson cracked under pressure. But again, it's, it's just they relegated her to secretarial duties and coffee when Kaminsky or Krasinski was... You know, just kind of like this meathead agent that was falling around pretty routine investigative work. That's where I was like, come on, guys, ramp it up a little bit. And even Sousa, turn him into Fox Mulder of the time, turn him into a guy that's really a great researcher. They did a good job a little bit there, but they did turn him into like the super researcher that can just, you know, he he can he can be her counterpart. Against all of these other agents who are obviously really fantastic at their jobs as field agents, but they just she's just better. She was trained with Cap, she was trained with Chester Phillips, she was trained with howard Stark. And, and and let those merits speak for her against these other agents. that's That's the only thing that I felt the story was a little flat for me.
0: Well, I think the 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 issue that we're all kind of getting around here is the fact that the show is just kind of lazy. And it's been a really big issue with um, the Marvel universe on TV, and and sometimes even the films is they're just not taking risks. They're they're not really pushing the boundaries of this medium. They're giving us the same thing that we've kind of all seen before in other places. And it's it's not it's not breaking the mold. It's not doing anything special on, on the most part. Um, and I, I feel like. They slapped a Marvel name on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and with Carter, and they've just, they've not really given it their best writing work. Because this really isn't their best writing. It's just not. And all the frustrations that we're having when we're kind of talking about some of those things here, they don't destroy this show. Like, I think they have kind of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but they hurt it where it could have been so much stronger um by by allowing you know the ssr guys to be such morons uh for the most part and and um allowing them to be kind of taken by everything and and really just not pushing the boundaries of 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 the storytelling you know by letting the guy who really probably shouldn't be in the field you know go out into the field and try to stop somebody well we all know in our brains like well, this just isn't going to turn out well. Um, you know, it, it's 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 not great storytelling because I can predict everything that's going to happen. I don't want to be able to do that. I really want to be challenged in a show and to have my mind blown, kind of like when I watch Flash every week and my mind just kind of goes, you know, all over the place. Um, or the same thing with Arrow because they're really moving forward with what it means to be, you know, a comic book show on TV. And so that's, that's, I think, my frustration here, because like you, uh, Norm, I really, really like this, this show on a whole. There's so much about it I like, but there's just so much about it that really frustrated me, and it just, again, it had me literally yelling at the TV, um, because I was just so frustrated, and one of the things that I really loved about this show was the fact that it's a period piece. Um, because we don't see a lot of that on TV at all, unless we're watching Mad Men, and then it's fantastic. Um, and to me, this was just kind of like um, Mad Men, comic book style, uh, you know. And and I really, really liked that. And I wanted to see. I want to see more of it because it's really interesting. You know, this is where this whole universe kind of starts. This is what's going to be the bedrock, the foundation for. Uh, who comes to Iron Man after he comes out of the closet, so to speak, you know, Um, comes out of the armor shop. (laughs) And so uh, this is, and, and it like you said, the production value, the cars, I mean, it all looks really, really good.
2: Okay, so one strength that I really do love about this show is the characters. And I mean, I know we talked a little bit about how some of the agents could be more competent, but I did really enjoy... Um, Peggy coming in and you know this whole new slate of male coworkers that don't value her very much and like slowly winning them over and showing showing how awesome she is and some of the growth that these characters have just in proximity to her I also really 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 love her kind of supportive friendship with Jarvis I think is really fun to watch and the way they kind of flipped that support role Um, to a male character for a female character was really interesting. And um, I just really like these characters. And I think that it's super important when you're watching a show that you want to see what happens next to these people. Um, And for me, that is where agent Carter has succeeded where shield has not maybe not succeeded as well Is I want to know what happens next to Peggy. And I want to know what happens next to Sousa and Jack Thompson. And, Howard Stark and all of these characters and um that's super important for like momentum going forward.
0: No I completely agree with you Andy I, I think you nailed one of the things that made this show really enjoyable was the fact that it was about Peggy Carter and she was an interesting character especially with all that had happened to her in the first Avenger and the fact that we also saw her in you know Captain America 2 and we know she had this whole other life you know without him and um, I think that's a really fantastic thing to, to to give us more on her. Now, I do have a question for you about the character, Peggy. Why the heck is she having to prove herself to anybody? Isn't that what she did in Captain America? Like, she's already proven herself and they put her in this position. You know, she's she's with all of these people. She's obviously trusted by them. Why is it all of a sudden once World War 2 ends that we just like forget all of that? Like who who created like what I don't understand is who created the SSR and why isn't she already at the top of it with the position she held from the war? This is what they never explain in the show and what I was really frustrated with because I kind of understand why they're doing it because they're they're telling us a whole story about women after World War 2 through Peggy Carter. But at the same time, this woman is is already at the top. And I didn't understand why all of a sudden she's getting coffee when she wasn't even doing that during the war. Um, and she's part of some of the biggest, most secret projects that they've ever had in the SSR. So it, it just seems like I get why they're doing it and, and the, the, the thematic push that they want to do. Um, but it doesn't necessarily really make sense with the story that we've already been told with Peggy in the first Avenger.
2: I think there are two reasons. Um, The main reason I do think is thematic, what you're talking about, about how they're trying to tackle some of these issues. Um, But there are two things that pop out to me. One is the people she's working with now are not the same people that she worked with before. Um, And I can tell you that you can convince... You know, a group of guys of your worth, but then when you start all over again, you start all over again. I mean, she's still living in a world where women are undervalued, um, especially in this kind of male-dominated um, profession. So when she walks into a room full of new coworkers, they're not gonna they're not gonna start from the level of respect as her last batch of coworkers. Secondly, a lot of those men very very specifically say that they think that she got where she was because of Captain America and they very much belittle her accomplishments during the war because of her connection with him her connection with him is both something that makes her a valuable asset and holds her back it's one of those very common things that you didn't deserve what you got you got what you got because you slept with someone you slept your way to the top kind of idea and that's a super common one is that a lot of women that make it in really tough jobs people will ask well how did she do that she doesn't deserve that you know this sort of thing and they even make small little comments about that especially in the very beginning just kind of sly asides about oh captain america's girl right those are those are the first those are the two things that come to mind for me when it comes to that issue
0: right what and and that's really though my question is is that they don't show us that there's like why there's a change in leadership or or you know they're the this is one area where they didn't explain enough to justify where they went with the story and maybe that's just because yeah, maybe i pay attention too much or i'm thinking too much but they're not really justifying to me the setup of the story Because they're not giving me the actual reason why. Um, Because everything you said is completely correct about why these guys are, are dealing with her like that. But why are these the guys that are in charge when it seems like, for all intents and purposes, Peggy should be the one in charge. At least the way we left it with, you know the first of engineer in the first Captain America film. So I felt like what they needed to do was just give us a better reason why this has happened in the first place. And it would have really helped and I think really strengthened the point that they're trying to make there with those those angles of, you know, a woman being put down and all that kind of stuff in this time period just because she's a woman and let the men handle it. Um, I, I think that would have been much stronger if they had done their job in kind of creating that storyline um, more thoroughly than just kind of plopping us in. And I I understand they only have eight episodes to do that. We just I I feel like you just need to tell us more um, because it's it's important for those that are really paying attention to the show and and. You know, I think everybody kind of coming into Agent Carter probably has already seen Captain America. So they have a familiarity with where she's been. It would have just made more sense to really have her um, at, at least explain how this agency has progressed from, you know, the end of the war.
1: There are a lot of telltale signs, though, that I think that uh, they may have confused the audience with the way that they wrote Agent Carter for this show versus what we saw in the movies. Point one, in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when they went to the base uh, in New Jersey and they saw a secret room and they saw the three founding portraits of S.H.I.E.L.D. and at that time it was the SSR. You saw Chester Phillips, you saw Peggy Carter, and you saw Howard Stark. That in of itself is almost... Um, a very telltale sign of where she was in the organizational order. Okay, so I just don't see why they would have retreated from that in a way when they approached her character for this show. Again, it's I said this before. It's it's the way that they wrote the male agents that informed the way that you observed Peggy in this show, and I don't I just don't think that the way they wrote them did her a good service because it doesn't make her better it just makes her better than them and this is a woman who we saw in the first avenger and we saw in the winter soldier who has all of this ability but they never paid it any respect and screen time per se you know and i that's just i kind of like got a little caught off guard with that because of Of who she was in the movie and they set the tone for that at the very beginning of the first episode where she said goodbye to Steve but she was still in that command chair talking to him through the mission anyone in the SSR that was part of that mission would have been able to say don't you know who she is don't you know what she's done and she was part of the SSR far earlier than Steve Rogers was so it's not a question of her relationship with him as Captain America. It was her service to Chester Phillips before the program started, during the program, after Steve Rogers died, and they just don't pay any attention to that relationship or that development at all before the very first episode of this series. It didn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and that's what I didn't get for the show, and what was so great about the show is that, man, Jarvis and Peggy Carter together are awesome, I mean, I love the way they work together. They are, I mean, I love the fact that I got to know the person that, you know, Stark will call, you know, his personal assistant. You know, the the fact that they will fly around in the suit with him. You know, I just love it that this is who he's modeled after was his dad's, you know, butler. And that he's the most amazing butler out there. He reminds me of a a kick-ass Alfred um, you know, he, he will get out there and he'll do the work as well. And I think for me, that was the highlight of the show. Just watching those two work together was fantastic. And that's where I think the the, the show really worked well was when it was focusing on on them working together to solve this mystery. And um, and I really, really, really liked that. And I, I got invested in those characters, and that's what kept me coming back you know, time and time again was to see how, you know, uh, Peggy and and Jarvis were going to work through whatever it was that week. Um, Because I just, I love that relationship. I think they nailed it with that, that friendship thing of, you know, there's no sexual tension there. There's nothing like that. It's just these two people who come to really respect each other. And we don't get tons of that on TV done really well, but they nailed it here.
2: They're great foils for each other. They have different personalities um, and they bring different strengths to the table and they're partners in a true sense of the word and um, that, you know, what Jarvis isn't good at, Peggy is good at. And they play off each other really well. Um, seeing them together is always really fun and 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 emotional. Uh, our, our moments of really vulnerability that we see from peggy are with jarvis because he's the only one that she can talk to about you know this emotional burden that she's still carrying um so it's really nice to see their relationship grow and it'll probably continue to be the heart of that show
0: what did you guys think of um had Michael Murray as Thompson and just his portrayal because I, I remember when I saw that he was going to be in the show it's like oh man the dude from One Tree Hill are you kidding me um but I, you know I just felt like he pulls off the whole Mad Men thing well and then where they took the character and the fact that they gave him some really interesting character development uh was was really great in fact even at the end the very end of the show you know where he's he's walking by and he's getting patted on the back and he doesn't say anything like he hasn't quite learned how to not be a complete prick yet. Uh, <laughs> I thought was really interesting. And, yeah, just a really, really interesting character. And I think kind of, um, I'd, I'd say inspired casting because that's not what I expect to get from, say, Chad Michael Murray on a show, uh, especially when all I really know of him is One Tree Hill.
2: Oh, then you never saw Gilmore Girls where he I played, know, I, I he played Gilmore, Rory's. I yeah. know arrogant privileged boyfriend Uh, because this is pretty much exactly what I expected from Chad Michael Murray is he really does play that that I've got it all figured out it's all been handed to me I don't you know I'm the golden boy kind of thing uh that arrogance and and honestly the mistakes you make when you take that for granted um so I thought it was pretty good casting um, I like that he's growing and that he's learning, uh, but he isn't quite there yet. There's there's more to go. That's always good. You never want a character to be done per se. So um, we'll see you know, where he takes that.
1: Yeah, whereas you have like Krasinski or Kaminsky, I can't remember his name. He's a very one and done type of personality. And for the most part, I think Chief Dooley is too, because, and I like that actor. I liked him in... Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I like him in um, a couple of HBO shows that he's been on. Uh, Boardwalk Empire. Um, he's a good actor, and I felt that he got George Lucas here because it's basically show up. You can do a New York Brooklyn accent pretty decently. Uh, your tie is ridiculously short. I mean, come on, you are the head of the SSR, and he just he came off very stereotypical, cartoony, and I thought that was so flat for someone who had these moments of brilliance like you said Andy before he there was a short little investigative period that he had where he was doing the SSR job where he went to uh, uh, that prison facility and started making these like little sideways deals to get information and I was like okay all right this is this is the chief he's doing the chief type work and then it all of a sudden you know, he had the whole, I'm going to trust this Russian doctor with pretty much walking around my office without any kind of chaperone. And you saw what happened. So I was like, oh, they really just didn't quite streamline his character. Now, Chad Michael Murray, I always thought if you can't get Fred, um, Ryan Philippi, you get Chad Michael Murray. Because you know, he does have this, this air and this entitlement to him. And because they made him out to be this war hero, and we found out the truth about that, he really did play that for all of the currency that it was worth. Until the moment where we saw the flaw in his character, and I was like, "Okay, that's a nice moment of brilliance. Let's see where they go with that." And I thought it was realistic that he that he didn't kind of cop to it at the end, where it's like, "Yeah, I'm the chief now. You know, thanks, Senator. Pat me on the back. This is my show." But well, that's he, not how
2: you know, that's not how people grow. People no. don't oh suddenly see the light and become new people. He's learning, but. I mean, there's going to be two steps forward, one step back. So I really liked that moment too. Um, it's it's a good character moment for him because he's still got a lot to learn and he's still got a lot of prejudice to overcome.
1: Right. And then it's nice that that happened as he walked by Agent Carter and Sousa because he was just like, you're going to take that? And she's like, it really doesn't matter to me either way because it doesn't. It, that's not what she's about. You know, she's about, she had... Let's just say that she had bigger issues in her life that she was able to overcome, and something as, as small as pettiness isn't going to slow her down.
2: The reason that she yeah. went around the SSR is not because they weren't using her the way that they were supposed to be using her. She didn't like that. That was a big drive for how she wanted to prove herself. But the reason that she betrayed them, if you could call it that, is because they were messing up the investigation, Right. And that they weren't, they weren't looking in places that they needed to be looking. And she was worried about them messing up the mission. She's very make the plan, execute the plan kind of person. Um, but
1: I guess that's the, the real credit concept. is
2: not important to her.
1: I guess the question is, is like the, the men that the, that the men that she was working with are the women that she was working with in the SSR, in, in uh, the European theater and in New York when they created Captain America in, in the base. Where are those people? What happened to them? Because that was really only maybe two or three years difference. Because you're dealing with like, okay, so the American involvement in World War II is 1941 to 1945. This is 1945 esque. So really, you're only dealing with four years. People don't change like that in four years. They're not going to get reassigned. They're going to get. They're going to continue their mission because they've been trained in this clandestine organization. So what happened to them? They just don't go, whoosh, you know, all of a sudden, and they just disappear or resign. They'd be put into these type of offices so that they can continue the SSR work from Brooklyn to Chicago to Los Angeles to across the pond to London and, and various places where the SSR had theater offices for their campaigns. So why not why not focus on that? Because she worked with these people and she would have been able to not only best them but also inspire them. And I guess that's where I keep coming back to this point, like what happened to this quality of of staffing that the SSR had. And all of a sudden they became like, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts, how you doing today, you know? I'm like, no, no, that's, that's not where I wanted these guys to go. You know, I wanted them, they were flatfoots, you know, of the 1930s Brooklyn cop. But that's not who the SSR is. We saw that clearly in in the two Captain America movies. Well,
0: and I think that's why we always say, you know, a hero is only as good as his villain. And, you know, the hero is also only as good as their foil, and since these guys are complete morons, it it doesn't make Peggy look better, like you were saying, Norm. It kind of makes her look worse, because to be able to get around these guys is no really big deal. In fact, she was able to do it for so long in the show, it was a little ridiculous. Um, and the one redeeming character, I thought, in that whole thing was Sousa, being able to piece together all of this stuff because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get to use his brawn anymore. He has to use his brain now. And he, he's a he really is a, a great detective. He's doing good detective work. Um, he's he's finding the connections where nobody else is and piecing it all together. The problem was is I got so frustrated with is that the whole time I felt like, you know, Peggy could have just told Susa what was going on and Susa would have been on her side. But she doesn't trust anybody and they don't trust anybody, the the rest of the agency. So nobody's talking to each other. And that that gets so old to me because it's been done so many times. And uh, to me, that was just kind of where, again, the show was being a little bit too cliched. It's using too many of the tropes that we know in storytelling to tell its story and not necessarily well when it could be trying something new and bolder and better To tell us an even greater story, because what I loved is there's some amazing connections here in the show as well. I mean, about the Black Widow program, we see that, um, you know, being started and and run there in Russia. That's fantastic. We all know that Natasha Romanoff comes from that. And who doesn't want to see a freaking Black Widow movie? Uh, raise your hand if if you do yeah we're all yeah that's right we're all raising our hands because i've been waiting see that. for a
2: black widow movie for it feels like my entire life <laughs> yeah but i would love for her know? to start
1: with that story i'd love for her to yeah. start with where Dottie came from and then kind of move on from there i thought that was yeah. really smart
2: well i mean you were saying like the villain is super important i thought Dottie was a particularly interesting villain Right. Um, She's also a woman that people underestimate and she uses that against people all the time. Um, And it's one reason why she's so effective as a spy, assassin, killer. And then just the kind of sweet evil. I love that. Um, And then again, bringing up this this backstory, we know, for Black Widow, which really hasn't been shown in the movies yet. Um, so being able to get a taste of that, I, I just I really enjoyed that villain, and I thought she was really effective. I was less convinced by the guy that could apparently hypnotize you by looking straight in your eyes and saying "focus" a lot. Um, no, no, he twirls but,
0: his ring. I yeah, need you, is, Andy. I this is you the one focus. ring. You know? <laughs> I need you to focus. Complete like, focus
2: takes thirty seconds, and you'll do whatever I want. Yeah, uh, but Dottie I liked a lot, um, so that was a uh, that, and that's just a really good parallel for, uh, for Peggy.
0: Yeah, I thought that was great. I, I thought she was a fantastic foil, and and honestly underused mm-hmm. uh, in in the show. And that's again where I'm thinking you're not taking risks here. You're doing just so many generic things. That none of it's uh, um, surprising to the audience, you know. Uh, if she had ended up being the main villain instead of the, you know, the scientist, I think that would have been so much more interesting than that. You know, having this the stupid hypnotist be the, you know, the main bad guy. Um, it, it's, again, it's just not a risk to have him be the the guy telling her what to do instead of it. You know that they, they've trained these super spy women. To go use all their feminine wiles against these men who don't give them the time of day, and except destroy for them. Howard
2: Stark. Well, except for know. Howard Stark, who has time <laughs> we'll for every you a bracelet woman. and all of your all of his secrets yeah, in
0: the same yeah. night. Exactly. Um, so I, yeah, again, that's that's just a thing that was frustrating and. I think the other frustrating thing is that that Norman, we've just been hitting all night. Is is that you know this is all one connected universe, and uh, the fact that they didn't do a good job of of connecting the beginning of the show and its foundation to what's already been shown, um, and have some incongruity there is really frustrating um, for anybody who's paying attention. Um, especially when like what you said, Andy. I I just wanted to kind of know more about this Black Widow program. I, I think. Age of Ultron, we're finally going to get some backstory for it. Looks like from the trailer, we might get some backstory for Agent Romanoff. Um, I don't know, but. Well, there are ballerinas.
2: What else could it be?
0: Yeah, it's got to be it. It's just if you're going to have all this stuff be connected, then pay attention to the details because we as fans are paying attention to the details. Um, And uh, I shouldn't, and, and, you know, we shouldn't be able to sit here and poke holes in all these, you know, detail areas. If I know you guys can do it because you write the freaking comics in general and you got the guys who write the comics involved with these shows, you know, um, and then the head of Marvel Studios, they, they know what they're doing. Um, don't make it so easy to, to poke holes in. And, and that's where I think, again, DC is doing a better job because they're taking everything from the comics and crafting their own story uh, and they don't have to be beholden to anything else and sometimes that just works better because you can create and craft a a story that's very compelling because you're not having to worry about what's happened other places you're just crafting your own universe Um, and in some ways maybe that this would have been helped as a mini-series if they weren't trying to have so many balls in the air juggling okay we have to make sure this is going to connect to this and my guess is somehow Agent Carter is going to have something to do with uh, Agents of Shield later on, and maybe something that happens in Age Voltron. But
2: well, they do reference her in Agents of Shield. Um, once they decided to to you know go with this series, she starts coming up in the last couple episodes. You know, in their old files and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was cool, cool uh- detail work there.
1: But Matthew, I, I know what you're getting at because we had this discussion with uh, Jose and we we're talking about continuity, boxing in creativity. And I think that's what's happening here is like they have to try and fit all of their storytelling and try and be original without upsetting the apple cart of all the storytelling that has come before it in the cinematic universe And I think that's a difficult thing to do because it doesn't allow them to become unique. It allows them to tell a story that fills in the gaps, but that's not necessarily the best storytelling because it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, okay, so take the Clone Wars, for example. We know the Clone Wars as they were hinted by Kenobi in episode four, where he says, you know, you were part of the Clone Wars. Yes, I was a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. As soon as we start, hearing that the Clone Wars is going to be a series, we're like, oh, man, we already know all this. But we didn't because the Clone Wars was told so well and they allowed themselves such storytelling freedom without disrespecting the material that they actually proved the equation of being unique and also filling in the gaps can be done. And I felt that there was an opportunity here for that to happen, but I don't think the writers were good enough at this stage in the game to be unique but also stay within the confines of the of the MCU. And if they did have that deftness of skill, this series would have been immediately slated for a second run, you know, for another eight episodes. Well,
0: and I think what you just hit on is the fact that George and Dave with the Clone Wars take some supreme risks. I mean, they shake things up from the very beginning. They throw in Ahsoka as a Padawan And, uh, they just lay waste to everything we think we thought we were going to get with the clone wars and craft something that we just didn't think possible. And I think that's where they had the idea. We're not just going to give you your expectation. We're going to blow away your expectation and we're going to make you fall in love with somebody you never think you could love. That's just, again, that's where if you're going to fill in the gaps, that's how to do it. Um, and, uh, Rebels just started to do that, and it's the end of its run for me here in its first season. So those are great instances where I think filling in the gaps is being done really, really well. And this is where it's just not happening. Um, And it's just frustrating because, on a whole, I really enjoyed a lot of these characters. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed everything about the, the show, its production, how it looked... Everything that it had going for it, I really like the character of Peggy Carter. I want to know more about her. I think she's a fantastic, um, just character in general. I don't care if she's a woman; it, it doesn't matter because she's just so good. She's so compelling as a character, and what has happened to her, and they they just don't service her. And I I think what, I want to get to this last topic, this idea of just kind of women at work here after World War II. And what's most frustrating is I don't think they service the subject matter that they really were trying to get to by some of the choices that they made. Um, They do a great job of kind of showing how women in World War II specifically afterwards, all the men come home and they take their jobs back and the women are just supposed to go back home. And sometimes these women were better at their jobs than the men. Uh, to be honest, but the, the man got his job back and the woman was expected to go back home and start cleaning and cooking again, um, and some of those aspects of this show could have been so much stronger if I think some of the things that we had talked about with the agents besides Carter being better and stuff, it just could have been better served, um, and, and it would have come off better because they do it relatively well in the show. But I was frustrated because I knew exactly what the message they were trying to go for. And it doesn't come off as strong because the storytelling itself isn't as bold as it could have been. Go for it, Andy.
2: I don't know where to start, really. (laughs) I'm just really excited that we finally have a female-led comic book. Anything, really. I mean, we haven't had a female-led comic book movie for either DC or Marvel. Uh, this is the first female-led comic book project that either DC or Marvel has really done.
0: Um, well, I mean, Electra and c- Catwoman—they don't—they don't count for you.
2: Do we really want to count Electra and Catwoman?
0: <laughs> I'm just saying it's—they—they exist out you? there. Un- unfortunately, I, I'm not saying they should count, but uh, or should have even existed in the first place. So I, I'm just saying at least the DC had the the guts to try it um you know Marvel hasn't even had the guts to try it yet
2: yes they haven't they haven't tried it and the sad thing is is they actually have the universe and the characters to pull it off um I mean Black Widow obviously uh they have announced um Captain Marvel movie which should be cool but the thing is is if you already have built in female superheroes I I don't know why you wouldn't start there I guess. And I mean, DC really, the fact that they just now have decided to do a Wonder Woman movie is, I can't even begin to talk about how frustrating that is, but we are seeing forward momentum on this, right? Um, So I was really excited to get agent Carter. I was really excited that they explicitly tackled um, her being a woman and what that meant for her. And they very they very clearly were trying to put together a feminist message in a comic book setting, which was really exciting. And I truly, truly, truly enjoyed. Um, And I, it's just, it's long overdue. It's much needed. And I thought they executed it very well. um, And I really need a season two of agent Carter. Actually I need six seasons in a movie of agent Carter. So They need to get on that and start making that for me right now. Um, So, yes, in summary, yes, there were a handful of flaws. Mostly, I think we've talked about the continuity issues and a little bit just the world building. But overall, we enjoyed this series and we enjoyed these characters and we want to see more of them.
1: No, I agree. And I think the great thing about what they did with Agent Carter is that they didn't change her because I thought that Haley Atwell still brought the same quality of acting and the same attitude and the same strength and independence and everything that you loved about Peggy Carter in the movie to this series. It's unfortunate that they didn't bring the rest of the game up around her because I think it would just just made her even better because I love I loved her ever since I saw her just stand toe to toe with everybody in The Winter Soldier and in in The First Avenger because it was about doing the right thing. It wasn't about being a man. It wasn't about being a woman. It wasn't about who she was serving with or for. It was about beating evil, you know, and she wanted to do it for her country, and she wanted to do it in the best way possible, and she focused on the mission, like you said before. It wasn't about credit, and it's not about who's paying attention to who. It's about the mission, about completing her assignment to the best of her ability because you can never fault... Success and quality. And that's what I always thought that she brought to the game. And she's just such a fantastic actress to watch because she's so strong. She walks tall. I mean, she, it's literally, she can basically stand toe to toe with anyone, whether it's these agents, and I'll use that term lightly at the SSR in this show, or being a source of inspiration for Angie, because we didn't even talk about Angie, Lindsay Fonseca's character. I don't think that Angie would have gotten anything out of her life if she didn't meet Peggy because Peggy is the kind of woman that she would like to aspire to be. She didn't care for, you know, I mean, she didn't care for Howard's antics. She was completely immune to that because she knew what Howard was all about. The only person that she respected was the person that respected her, and that was Jarvis, which made their relationship fantastic. So you know that they were doing right at certain parts of the show when they were on their game, and those are the moments between her and Jarvis and sometimes with with uh, her and Angie. But overall, I thought that they wrote her well. I-, I thought that the overall quality of the show was good. And if they just fixed a couple of things that were I thought were fundamental in terms of the storytelling, I would. this would have been probably one of the gems of the, of the year and definitely of the winter season because it had so much promise and it delivered on a lot of levels. But it really would have been complete if they just paid attention to some of the storytelling issues.
0: One is frustrating that it, it felt like with agents of shield, we've had a lot of issues on the show and I felt like, okay, this agent Carter thing, this sounds really interesting. I feel like this should have been the, the thing that they did from the very beginning. This was what agents of shield should have been in the first place to kind of give us our first taste of everything and I felt like they were uh, going to have learned from their mistakes uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Agent Carter they were going to have fixed a lot of those issues and we get to this and I'm I'm frustrated because they haven't and they're not servicing a character that I really like and they're not servicing a character who yes is a woman it's the first time for the Marvel Universe that it's it's been put front and center And they're not really giving her the due that she deserves. And that's what really frustrates me uh, because she deserved better storytelling than they gave her. And on a whole, I would rank this show, uh, you know, just so much above Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. At the same time, that's really not saying very much Um, because, you know, when I rank it in comic book shows, you know, it's somewhere below Gotham which isn't awesome you know Gotham's okay it's it's it, it's still holding my interest enough but it hasn't really done what I had hoped it would do but then you know I've got shows like um, Flash and Arrow and, and heck even Smallville from back in the day that still really hold up for me and I'm just frustrated because I think all of us here we want to see uh, more representation of, of females in our comic books. So glad, finally, that um, Wonder Woman, my, one of my favorite all-time characters in comics, is going to be coming to screen. They're starting to film her movie in, in November or this fall, and I can't wait because... you. They've waited this long. I know that they've been waiting this long because they don't want to screw it up like they did Catwoman and Elektra. Uh, And I don't want them to because it's Wonder Woman. And if you do, I, geez, come on. You'll
2: cry. Exactly. Exactly. I
0: might cry man tears over that (laughs) uh, because it would be so frustrating. I would literally fly to your house and drink with you. Thank bad. you. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. We you heard so, it here, folks. Yeah. So, well, just sure. Wonder
2: Woman and Matt and I were like <laughs> immediately to each other, like Wonder Woman. Oh, my God.
0: Yes, this is, it is funny. <laughs> it actually happened, folks. Uh, on the other side of Twitter, there we were. We were uh, well. Let's just say I felt like I was a fangirl at that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. that's
2: exactly how I would describe it. We were yeah. fangirling.
0: Yeah, we totally were. So, um, <laughs> and I'm okay with my manhood to say I fangirled. So. <laughs> Um well, you, for you guys any final thoughts on on Agent Carter and and, and let's do this. How would you in, in in all sincerity say from uh you know 1 to 10 how would you rank the entire mini series of Agent Carter? Norm. I think that
1: we we covered pretty much what the pros were and the cons were and for me I think that I would love to see a second season and we should pretty much email this entire podcast to the writers so that they would learn from our expertise, if you will. Um, But I I think that, again, I think they did a lot more right than they did wrong. It's just that the wrong in this could have made the show that much better if if they figured it out. I want to see the Peggy Carter in that type of reverence that they gave her when you saw her portrait in... Winter Soldier. When I saw her portrait down there in the SSR base, I was like, "It's Peggy Carter." Yeah, because she's standing in that same—I mean, she's standing in that same kind of level with Chester Phillips and Howard Stark. She's the third of the Shield founders. That's huge. I mean, when you think about it. So, if they can bring her back to that type of renown, then definitely I would like to see a second season. Uh, I would probably have to rate this. uh, In all fairness, I would probably rate it a seven out of ten for me.
0: What about you, Andy?
2: To me, I I always put more importance on the characterization than I do any plot or storytelling issues, which is probably why the plot and storytelling issues, while I will admit are present, do not bother me as much as it seems to bother the two of you. I would give it probably a nine, basically because I just can't wait to see where they go and how these relationships change. And I just think that the... The dialogue is so fun, and I just had so much fun watching the show, and like, I I could watch it again tomorrow, so I will give it a 9.
0: Well, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to say that we haven't already said, um, other than the fact that I would like to see a second season of this. Uh, I, I think it definitely deserves it. Uh, because the potential here, I think, is better. And I think the characters here are more interesting. And the storyline is easier to follow. And, and I want to follow it. I, I still want to follow this. And I think for all the problems that I had, I think that really speaks volumes. Of, of just how strong, specifically, um, I think uh, Darcy is and um, Atwell is here. And the rest of these characters, I think Chad Michael Murray, uh, I still want to see him, the, the Susa character, uh, even Stark. I think all of these characters here would make a great season two. Now, saying all of that, I say, honestly, I have to rank season one about a six and a half out of ten because the storyline issues um, are just incongruous with good television, especially the good television that I've come accustomed to. With something like, and we keep referencing him and we will keep it until somebody makes a better comic book show than Arrow or Flash. I wanted it to be Agent Carter. I wanted Agent Carter to be a fantastic show because of what it would do for women in comic books and I just what it would do for Marvel on TV um, in, in general. I wanted Marvel to be better. I don't hate Marvel. I think people might think I do. I don't. Um, I just want it to give me better stories and ones that have stronger, more vibrant, non-tropey characters. And I think that that's where they've really just fallen uh, on the wayside with that. And start being bold with your storytelling for season two. And um, and let's let's get it going, uh, ABC, because. Uh, all of us here, with all the issues, we still want to see it. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Andy? I,
2: I, I do actually, because I'm thinking about it, and even with Arrow, which I love, we had eight, eight episodes of Agent Carter, and I'm thinking about the eighth episode of Shield. We got eight episodes of Agent Carter. At the eighth episode of Shield, it was not this strong. And as much as I love Arrow, I'm not even entirely sure if I would say the first eight episodes of Arrow were... With Arrow, the first season is amazing, but I'm just not sure that we have given them enough time. Eight episodes is not a lot of time to to get a full story through.
0: No, I agree with you. I think that um, those other shows have had longer, um, but I think that this show should have been better because you do have only eight episodes and it should be really strong from the get-go because you should be telling your best, most focused story from the beginning because you have no time to waste. Um, And that's where you know British television, I think, is so brilliant most of the time is because they don't waste time and they don't give you a lot of episodes. They just pack the shows full of amazing stuff And you might get one or two seasons a lot of times of a British show. And they might be six episodes each. But that's all you needed to tell a fantastic freaking story that you'd want to watch again and again and again. Um, And that's what I would expect from, say, Agent Carter here. Whereas, you know, a show like Arrow or Flash, they do have 22 episode seasons or, you know, 24 episode seasons. They get a lot of time. But again, the best thing about those shows is they don't waste time and they're very focused in their storytelling, um, especially Flash. I mean, we are going, we are just blazing through at warp speed I on that show. I was waiting for the pun. Yeah, really I was. mean, there are, there's no way to talk about Flash and, and what they're doing without talking about how fast they're going.
2: Well, Flash was lucky in that they already had an established universe and a, um, a writing team that was you know used to each other and already like really clicking on arrow but yeah flash the first season of flash so far has been phenomenal no i hear you on the on the focus storytelling thing it just it occurred to me literally the last thing when we were discussing kind of the last thoughts that i was like eight episodes it's really Mm -hmm. it's really short
0: it is (laughs) well
1: there's a show that I've I've recently just fallen in love with and it is um it's on BBC America. It's not a British show, but it's um Canadian show, Orphan Black. And yeah, and there were only ten episodes per season and I literally could not stop watching one after the other after the other. I was compelled to watch because the storytelling was so tight, the characters are so interesting, the dilemma was so grand and bigger at every cliffhanger. That in those ten episodes, that was it was focused, it was economical, it was heavy, it was incredible momentum, and that's what a really nice, tight, concise, focused, well thought out, well written season can do.
2: Matt, we need to talk Orphan Black.
0: Well, I'm going to watch the show sometime, and we will, because uh, <laughs> there's plenty of people on the Babel Conference out there who would love it if we do that. So just add it to my queue of shows uh, that I'm trying to catch up on, in fact, uh, this might be a good time to talk about Patreon, and uh, <laughs> because unless I can stop working and just watch TV and read books, I don't know <laughs> how many things we'll, we'll be able to get to, but it's definitely something that I, I do want to do, because I, I think it would be great for the show. Um, Guys, it's been awesome talking about Agent Carter, and I'm finally glad that we got a chance to do so. But it is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.FM,
0: Standard Orbit. This episode isn't very good. But (laughs) are we just gonna pin all of our (laughs) choices? You pretty much have to. But the thing about this episode, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think, is it's a crazy idea. Earl Grey.
1: Picard, can you construct
0: a a rudimentary lathe? Go for it, (laughs) weeks It's an energy being it doesn't have a vulnerable spot. (laughs) Get off the line, the forge. The orb. Or we could just blame it on Janeway somehow, you know, that she it's scared her fault, the yeah. Borg into the Gamma Quadrant because they were tired of dealing with her in the Delta Quadrant. I don't know. To the journey!
1: Because this is the dangers, by the way, kids, of having uh, babies in the 24th century. Because if Kathy's first word was coffee and she was standing next
0: to the replicator, the next thing you know, you have a
1: hyped up two-year-old. The ready room. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like you know you've got your lucky shirt when you're watching a football game, and your team won when you were wearing it. So now you have to wear it every time. That's also the Enterprise insignia. That's the insignia of the only ship whose crew didn't die. Yeah.
0: So just wear course, it on the right color shirt. That's all. That's you have. right.
1: Commentary: Trek stars. And then he turns to her and he says, who, "Who is that man that I was just hugging?" And she says, "That was William Shatner." And he's like, "Who?" Literary Treks. Well, you know, I'm really a fan of a lot of, you know, different kinds of you know, naval fiction. Uh, you know, I, I, C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, those novels. So um, good. Yeah, you know, Patrick O'Brien, uh, you know, the, the Master and Commander books. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know,
1: these are all things which sort of put me into the right mindset. The 602 Club.
0: So when we come kind of to the story here, and especially off of doing literary treks, where we talk about Michael Piller's book, Fade In kind of got behind the scenes of of insurrection and really seeing how the that story changed to me it really just exemplified the importance of story in a movie and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You will find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly and it makes it easier for listeners to find the show as they search in iTunes. Also, Star Ratings and reviews really do that for us as well. And so we really appreciate all those that take the time to do that. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website and grab the rss link as well andy love when you get to be on the show it's so much fun Uh, tell everybody where they can find you online
2: Uh, you can find me on twitter at at first time trek where I am live tweeting my first watch of star trek Um, and I am also on tumblr with my archive project uh, first time trek there as well
0: Norm, it's so good to have you here, the associate producer here on the 602. Tell everybody where else they can find you on the network and online.
1: Well, you can always find me here as the host for Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise show. You can always find me on the Babel Conference, our Facebook listeners page. You can also find me on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And everyone knows that I'm a proud supporter of Alec Peters and the Axonar Project. You can find me on the Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And lastly, I'm a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon. And I'm an associate producer of four shows on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, This 602 Club, and
0: Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. And another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to you each week, the same way that Norm does, is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm, and you'll find all the current goals and milestone contribution levels that we have there for you. And they come with great perks. You can be uh, an associate producer, you can get exclusive content, producer credit, seats on the content development team, and more. Uh, guys, being a listener-supported network means that without you, we can't do this, and so we really do appreciate all your support. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I would also like to thank our other associate producer here on the 602. It's so important that I thank this guy because I really appreciate him. Kenneth Tripp, thank you so much for being I'm an associate producer here and supporting the network through Patreon. It means a great deal to all of us. If you would like to contact us about Agent Carter or anything else on the 602 Club, you can do that on trek.fm contact. You can also leave us a voicemail. Go to the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm and, of course, Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm. And, of course, the Babel Conference, the best place to talk about anything you want to talk about here that you listen to on Trek FM. Just type the Babel Conference into Facebook search field or, of course, just go to the website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Before we go, we would like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor today who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way to read all those books that you just don't have time for anymore with that busy schedule. And so go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. And we thank Audible for supporting the 602 Club and the network. Of course, guys, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine all the time. And you can also find me on Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. And y'all come back now, you hear?
2: (laughs) ¶¶ (laughs) We'll <laughs>